This is Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. Our program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. And now, here's today's program. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer. Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. And Bridget, this is the time, even though the 25th (laughs) technically (laughs) has passed, it's still all right as Catholics to wish each other Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, today we're going to be talking about saints. So I am really fascinated um, to talk to our guest today. It's Michael O'Neill. He has wears many hats. He's does a radio program called The Miracle Hunter, and he also is the creator of a documentary series called They Might Be Saints. And we're also going to be talking about his his new book, which is They Might Be Saints. So welcome to Faith in Action, Michael. It's great to be here. O'Neill, are you Irish? Yeah, you got it. Uh, <laughs> the no apostrophe gave me away. Yeah, I did. And Jim and I are both Irish, and we had this uh, share one time uh, a while back, and everybody around the table was Irish. So we have the gift of gab. So it's great that you're in, in radio and television. T- tell us a little bit about your background and um, how you got into doing all these different things as it relates to saints. Well, I think, um, you know, people know me with the uh, the title, The Miracle Hunter. So that's uh, really where it, when it all goes back to it. People can find all my stuff at MiracleHunter.com. And that's how I kind of got started building this website that uh, catalog, you know, I started cataloging uh, Marian apparitions. So uh, you know, I, I studied these thousands and thousands of cases of Marian apparitions and cataloged them all on my website. And eventually, I started expanding it out to other types of miracles. And so we have things like uh, incorruptible saints and uh, stigmata and Eucharistic miracles and healing miracles. And the healing miracles are the ones that kind of connect to sainthood causes, because with every saint, you need two miracles in order to uh, reach that uh, the end zone. You know, you go from servant of God, venerable, blessed, and then saint. And so... That's kind of how I got interested in doing programs about the saints for EWTN. I said, you know, uh, as the miracle hunter, I love that search for miracles. So we combined that story of Americans on the path to sainthood and finding of that miracle. And I think people are interested in both. People have a certain sense of Catholic pride or even American pride when somebody from America gets recognized as saint. And everybody likes a good miracle story, don't they? Sure, so absolutely. I, uh, the two together for the TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, go ahead, Jim. Uh, you, you mentioned Marian apparitions, and I know there are lots and lots of Marian apparitions. Some are approved by the Church. Some are not approved by the Church. Uh, can you explain what it takes to make a Marian or other apparition uh, something that people can or should believe in? Sure. So the Church has uh, had two different sort of eras in its investigative process. The first era preceded the Council of Trent in the first centuries of the Church when a miracle was claimed to happen. Perhaps it was the local faithful gathering together and praying about it, and, or maybe it was the, the parish priest who was involved. Maybe the bishop would stop by, uh, but definitely the Vatican was never involved. And so it would be sort of sort of this prayerful discernment. Do we think it's a miracle? A uh, miracle, miracle, you know, and then it goes down in the legends and, and you know, a little church is built and uh, these stories are, are written about it. Uh, but starting in the Council of Trent, uh, they went through a more formal investigative process and that sort of, uh, they had to deal with the, uh, the visions of Bridget of Sweden. And so those uh, visions which ranged from uh, should we be engaged in the Crusades to how do you do your laundry well, 
the Vatican said, we really need more of an investigative process. So in 1545 to 1563, one of the things that that uh, famous council was, they set up the rules for investigating Marian apparitions. So over the years, they've sort of fine-tuned the process. And in 1978, the bishops came out with this secret document in Latin, which details all the rules. It's the rule book for how a bishop should judge a Marian apparition. So uh, all our Marian apparitions are looked at by the local bishop first. The Vatican may or may not ever be involved. They can sort of stamp it with approval. But then they go into all the sort of the, the, the rules that are necessary. So we have things like the visionary can't be crazy, for example. There can't be errors in dogma uh, of a saint uh, uh, or a person talking about an apparition. For example, if someone were to say there are four uh, members of the Blessed Trinity, the fourth being Mary, uh, we have, uh, you know, the Church giving that a red flag. So, um, you know, there are all these uh, various rules that are used by the local bishops, but it takes many years, and they must have moral certainty that it's a miracle. And if there's any funny business going on, if they're collecting money or if the visionary isn't quite uh, all that holy, they might rule it out. So uh, they go through this formal process, and it often takes uh, decades or centuries in order for the Church to formally approve something as supernatural. That's really interesting. That was a great question, Jim. I'm glad you asked that. We're talking with Michael O'Neill. He is an EWTN host and creator of the documentary series, They Might Be Saints. And we're talking about um, his new book, uh, which is really focusing on American saints uh, or those that are on um, the road to sainthood. Um, I want to ask you, uh, Michael, what is a saint as defined by the Catholic Church? Well, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I, and I have a chapter on this in the book dedicated to, you know, sainthood, how, what it all is, and I go through all the, the process and the rules and everything, how it's changed over the years. But, you know, we, we think of the word saint as being in a very old term, but it turns out that in the Bible, for example, the word saint isn't really used to describe saints as we know them today. And the Catholic Church kind of uh, mutated or changed that understanding because as Catholics, the Catholic definition of saint is uh, somebody who, uh, who is in heaven with God. And so we might differentiate an, uh, an uppercase S saint as someone that's been canonized or put in the canon or list of saints by the Catholic Church formally, and lowercase S saints, those people, you know, our grandmother in heaven, perhaps. Uh, those, she's a saint if she's in heaven with God, but the Church just doesn't recognize it. So, um, so there's a, you know, a long history of sainthood, but uh, in the early days of the Church, the word saint referred to uh, members of the Church militant, those people here on Earth, and uh, Church triumphant is the new way we look at saints. And so, uh, you know, we, we go through that process, and, and the process has changed over the years, but it comes from the word uh, French, the word in French, saint, meaning holy. So that's, that's kind of the background of that word there. That's great, you know, and, you know, uh, Jim and I interview a lot of people, and um, you are just doing this all off the top of your head, so you really know this. I mean, it, it's amazing. And I, I'm guessing all those books behind that, you, you've you actually read all those, too. They're not just pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I've been studying this for years, for better or worse. This is, and this is, my, this is my thing. I study the saints, I study miracles, so... This is my full-time job, believe it or not, so I, I better know my stuff. Well, I'm, I'm curious, how did you get into all this? Well, there's, there's probably a, a, long, a long-winded story that, that goes with this, but, you know, I think growing up I was told the stories of uh, miracles and saints by my mother, who had a great Marian devotion, and we have this uh, story of Our Lady of Guadalupe interceding in the face of my grandmother, and that sort of propelled my mother to sort of teach us as children and her school children the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. 
And that uh, that's always been a, a fascinating story for me, and that kind of set me along this path. And it was it was after uh, graduation from Stanford that I got uh, this advice from Condoleezza Rice, who was the vice provost at Stanford. She said, "Become an expert in something, whatever you do." And I was on the track to be an engineer at a, a nice shiny uh, mechanical engineering degree from Stanford. But uh, you know, I used that to some extent at some point. But then I. I turned into uh, this miracle hunter at some point because I wanted to be the world's expert on miracles. So I might not be there yet, but uh, you know, Mary keeps opening these doors for me, and I keep walking through them. So this is this is my job. You know, it's really fascinating that you mentioned that you're an engineer. Uh, Jim and I happen to know a couple people that um, are engineers. Actually, one of the hosts on our local show, The Catholic Cave, Timothy O'Donnell, is an engineer. And I have another friend who's a local apologist who's an engineer. But they just have this passion and deep knowledge of the faith. And I just wonder if there's something about your engineering brain that um, just latches on to the faith and is really able to communicate it in such a ordinary way that everybody can understand so i don't know you have any thoughts on that i know it's totally off topic well, but. well engineering is kind of a <laughs> a, a process a, yeah. a thought process where you have to look at things and examine them carefully and well logically ver- and too. verify yeah. and you know the engineering isn't just guesswork uh, put something together and hope it works that isn't the way it works so there's there is a connection isn't there yeah, I think so. And I have to attribute my faith to my parents, who uh, had a very strong faith and raised me in the faith. Of me and me, and, uh, my my sister, and uh, my schooling. I, I went to a, a good Catholic school growing up, so I have to give all the credit there. Um, but I think the the engineering brain or that part of it really helps the way I look at miracles. For example, number one, I'm very interested in facts, not fiction, uh, when it comes to those things that are claimed as miraculous. And I'll tell you. If you tell me that the body of Padre Pio is incorrupt, for example, I'll tell you that isn't true. He's wearing a silicone mask. Uh, so I will, uh, I will tell you the truth behind miracles or claimed miracles. But I also love the data and analysis that uh, comes with engineering. So I categorize all these miracles and sort of analyze them on my website, and I try to understand them in a uh, visual way when it comes to charts and graphs. So anybody who's been to one of my presentations, they'll, they'll see a lot of pie charts and bar charts because that's how I see that's how I see the world. I see the world in numbers and data, and I apply all that when I look at uh, miracles as well. So your book focuses on American saints. Um, why did you choose American saints to uh, focus on? Well, the book correlates to my television show called "They Might Be Saints," uh, also on EWTN, which airs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern time, and that. So the theme of the show is Americans on the Path to Sainthood and the Search for Canonization Miracles. So the book dovetails with that quite carefully. But if you have to ask me in general why I'm interested in American saints, I think that they're, they're inspirations to all of us as Americans because, you know, there, there are all these challenges we have to our faith, and we say, are we really meant to be saints? Yes, we are all meant to be saints. There's this universal call to holiness. It's not just for priests and nuns who lived centuries ago in Italy. It's for all of us right here in America. So the idea that there were people who walked amongst us on American soil and are being recognized by the Church, it's pretty great. It's pretty exciting. So I think highlighting these people is, 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 uh, has been a lot of fun. And what's really great in the book is there are 24 Americans on the path to sainthood. So these are venerables and blessed, and uh, it's everybody. So I didn't leave anybody out. These are all the people who the Church has recognized who either were born in America or lived pretty much half of their life or more in America. And I bet most Americans will only know four or less of these names. We have people like 
um, uh, you wanna, Michael you wanna... McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus. Okay. We have Fulton Sheen. Uh, there's perhaps a number of others, but the vast majority of people, even practicing Catholics, will say, I never heard that name. So it's pretty mm-hmm. fun to learn about the holiest of America. Well, I thought you were going to let Jim and I guess. I could have guessed <laughs> those two, but I can't. What are the other two that are, are the common ones that most people would know? Well, I would say that many people know uh, Solanus Casey, for example, yeah. out of out of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that uh, Patrick Payton, the Rosary Priest, yeah. um, who's from Ireland, he's the also, also a well-known person. And uh, some people know Augustus Polson, the first black American priest. He's okay. a venerable. So, you know, there's there's just a handful, but the, the vast majority of these people are names that people have never heard. Unless you're from that city, perhaps you'll you'll have heard those names. So it's been pretty fun to shine the light on these uh, on these holiest of Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, what is the first step that a person would take if uh, I know somebody who was I thought was extremely holy, was an extremely good example for everybody they contact with? I think they could be named a saint. What what do I do? That's a great question, and I hope that we know people like that and we can propose them. And because uh, the vast majority of saints, even the ones in America, are you know priests and nuns, and perhaps we can propose the causes of priests and nuns. But usually, their their orders or the congregations will do that work. But if we knew somebody who was particularly holy, we have to get them named servant of God first. There are four main steps: servant of God, venerable, blessed, and saint. But all the, uh, all the documentation needs to be gathered on the diocesan level. So that means that uh, if that person wrote anything down, that would have to be gathered. If they ever appeared uh, on radio or television, they would have to have that information cataloged as well. But then you'd have to have interviews with people who knew them. So you'd have to have testimonies of their life of holiness. And all that stuff needs to be recorded and documented. So... Uh, it makes sense that if there's somebody to propose as a saint, that all that gets gathered and uh, you know in in one place, and people start seeking out their intercession for miracles and favors and blessings. So it will come much later that a miracle might be considered in a canonization cause. But if somebody is actually uh, uh, verifiably holy, it's worth praying for their intercession because they're in heaven with God. So things like prayer cards and websites and and things pop up where the life of that saint is sort of a uh, made known to the world, and prayers uh, are encouraged at that point. Sure. Do people kind of campaign for a sainthood? I mean, do they... Uh, are, <laughs> campaign are there... <laughs> buttons and everything. <laughs> Social media campaigns. Or, you know, get friends to call the bishop and <laughs> tell the bishop, and, you know, get other people to write letters. Or uh, is, is that legitimate, or is that not legitimate? No, that's real. Um, I, I wouldn't call it campaigning necessarily, but that has to happen because... Uh, one of the things that Rome looks at, or their local level will look at, as they propose the same thing, is something called a cultus or a cult. Of course, that's a negative word in our in our modern culture today. We don't want to be uh, uh, associated with cults, but cult means the veneration of that saint or the acknowledgement of that saint throughout the ages. Uh, a long-standing cult. So, um, you know, the church will never canonize somebody who died just a year ago. They want to see that there is devotion around that person. And so the more people who know about that saint, the more people who gather on their, on their death anniversary, the more people who are praying to them, the more favors, miracles, and blessings that are reported, that all goes in the sainthood file. And in that big red file that gets sent to Rome, uh, that's uh, all considered. So I think that campaigning is part of it. And in this modern age, the building of websites or the making of prayer cards or 
setting up, you know, uh, prayer groups and things like that. All these things come into play, and now people are signing up to be on the program. They might be saints, so that's another way of getting the world out. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Michael O'Neill about saints, and they might be saints one day. Stay tuned for more Faith in Action. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio. Building faith. Building vocations. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just wanted to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers, and I'll correct this sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her, and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400, and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget Ayer. Uh, Jim Ganley and I are in the studio. and We're talking with our guest, Michael O'Neill. He is EWTN's creator um, and host of the documentary series called They Might Be Saints. And I've been formulating a question in my (laughs) head that I just have to ask. Michael uh, has programs on EWTN television and radio, and we're talking about saints and potential saints and they might be saints, and obviously anybody familiar with EWTN would have to be thinking about Mother Angelica. Maybe a saint someday? I don't know. What is the uh, situation there, Michael? Well, one of the interesting things is that, uh, you know, people people kind of get have this idea of how saints are made, and uh, some people think that it's just the, the idea of a pope, perhaps, that somebody whispers in his ear and he says, <laughs> Let's make that one a saint. And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because Pope Francis did make the comment once. He said, Mother Angelica, she's definitely a saint. So it came out of the Pope's mouth that, uh, that he thought she was a saint. However, it doesn't work like that. Uh, it's a long process over the course of many decades, uh, perhaps. And the longer and more, the longer a person's lived and the more they've uh, done as far as writing goes or appearances on television, and we know Mother Angelica did a lot of that, all of those things have to be considered and looked at and examined in order for uh, somebody to be declared a saint. So uh, they're still in the document-gathering phase of doing all the interviews with witnesses uh, about her life of, of holiness. I mean, if I had to put my money on it, I would say that, you know, very likely we can count on her someday being a saint. So uh, we're looking forward to featuring her, featuring her on They Might Be Saints uh, as it comes up uh, in years to come. But they're currently in that stage prior to... Uh, that Servant of God declaration or establishment. So uh, we've got a little bit time of time on the clock on that one. I'm curious, in, 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 in light of how much content some of these saints maybe have produced, who was the biggest content pre- creator? <laughs> was it Sheen or was it Mother Angelica? Or you mentioned um, Sister Lucia. Um, is there, I mean, do you know that off the top of your head? I mean, since you study this, I mean, are, are there some that were more prolific than others? 
Yeah, I mean, when we when we talk about um, Americans specifically, like in the book, they might be saints. Uh, I have two chapters on media people specifically, and of course, we have uh, we have Patrick Payton and uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen, and so. Um, you know, I think Patrick Payton was seen live by more people in the history of the world than anyone prior to John Paul II. So uh, mm. he has that claim to fame of traveling the world on these rosary crusades, uh, being seen by millions and millions in countries uh, worldwide, uh, Patrick Payton. So, uh, so he is definitely up there, and he did these radio and television shows. And then, of course, we have Fulton Sheen, who had the, you know, the, uh, the radio, radio and television shows as well, and his... Uh, popular television show was uh, won an Emmy Award and was popular, more popular than Lucille Ball at one point. So uh, here was somebody who's uh, who did a weekly show and uh, did incredible amounts of writing. So I'd say those two are right up there as far as uh, being up there with Mother Angelica as far as uh, having content on the air all the time. Now you're talking about content and building this big file of content, but uh, it, it does boil down to quality as opposed to quantity, doesn't it? I mean, somebody who has a whole lot of stuff doesn't necessarily make them uh, available to the next step, but somebody who maybe has a smaller amount, more focused, but uh, of higher quality, does that, uh, how does that work? Well, uh, you know, as, as, as sad as it is for people who are like us who are on radio and television, you know, <laughs> just being on the radio doesn't get us a ticket to heaven. I wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to uh, the path to holiness, you know, I'm not sure that media is necessarily the, the, the direct route, but we only need to look at uh, the children of Fatima, for example. We have the two youngest children of Fatima who are canonized already, Jacinta and Francisco, and then their, uh, you know, their cousin, uh, uh, Lucia, she lived up into old age, and so uh, they have many, many years of writing of her writing letters and her uh, being interviewed and all these things to look at. But the young children of Fatima didn't write anything, so that was a much faster canonization process. So, um, you know, I think that uh, having a lot on the record can make you can be in slow things down, and and of course it's. Uh, it's not just how much you ran your mouth, but the things you said to inspire <laughs> others to the faith. So well, hopefully, well, hopefully that. Uh, uh, these these saints, uh, we'll, we'll see them as saints, uh, despite being media media people as well. Yeah, we'll we'll keep that. Well, all three of us will keep that in mind as uh, as a good pointer. Um, I do want to get to some of the um, saints that that are on the road that would not be very familiar. We have only about four or five minutes left. Um, so, is there one um, maybe not well known person that you mentioned? There's a whole bunch of them that you want to mention on the air now. So, I mean, I think, you know, people are going to need to read the book, and yeah. I know that sounds like a shameless plug, but uh, each of these people have a very special story, and I try to present them in a, in a kind of a fun way where you really get to know the individual saints. So people like uh, Father Eloisha Schwartz, I was there in Mexico at his girl's town, and he set up these uh, homes for, for children around the world um, where, you know, he, where there are thousands and thousands of children that he pulled off the streets of Mexico, the Philippines, Korea, and, uh, you know, he was a priest from Washington, D.C., but he went out and he, um, you know, he just spread the gospel and brought these children out of poverty. Absolutely amazing. I'm not much of a crying person, but when I went to this place in Mexico, the poorest of the poor uh, were there, and they had 4,000 children. These are children who, uh, you know, had never slept in a bed, who had never used a fork and knife, 
who had never used a toilet. This is the level of poverty. And the graduates, the 4,000 children who are there currently, these are people who go on to be doctors and lawyers and uh, engineers and contributing members of society. Absolutely amazing, brought me to tears. And the level of devotion they have to the Eucharist, for example, is amazing. So Father Al Schwartz is a huge, uh, I'm a huge fan of his. And then we have Bishop Frederick Berriga from Michigan, the snowshoe priest who traveled thousands of miles on snowshoe in order to spread the gospel. I always think about, am I doing enough to spread the gospel? No, I just read the stories of Father, uh, Bishop Berriga, and uh, he was incredible. And so I look forward to him being declared blessed very soon. He's got a good miracle in the queue, so I expect that to happen shortly. I think what's going to be so fascinating about reading your book is that th- these American saints we will be able to relate to because they lived here and they, they did extraordinary things. Um, tell our listeners where they can get a copy of the book and where they can um, watch and hear you. So the book, where they can get a copy of the book. So the book, people can go to EWTN Religious Catalog to pick that up, and that's just EWTNRC.com, and you can find They Might Be Saints there. And that correlates with my television series, They Might Be Saints, and go to theymightbesaints.com for more information on that one. And that airs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN. Each and every week they uh, tell the story of a future American saint. So uh, it's, a, it's a fun one to see the stories of miracles that are being explored and the stories of future American saints. So I encourage people to check that out as well. That, that's a great weekend radio program because uh, it, it's kind of like a reality show on, on TV where you're looking at Real people, not from some distant past, but uh, real people who live lives similar to ours that just might be saints. So that's a, an interesting program we'd encourage people to listen to. And, and what, Michael, what did you learn um, in writing this book? I know that you'd already done the documentary series, but then when you wrote the book after the fact, did you learn more? I did. I mean, I think that, you know, the book and the and the show correlates quite well. I mean, I think there could be a confirmation program or otherwise where people could read the book and then watch the show or watch the show and read the book. Um, you know, I think that uh, digging into these lives of saints, you know, it, it, it's, it's just inspiring to see. We have interviews on the, on the television show where we have people who, who knew them or knew their lives, but to actually dig into the research and learn it, I mean, that's I have all these great intercessors now, 24 people to choose from when I'm praying uh, for a miracle of my own. And in the book, if you do find a miracle through any of these saints, people can actually contact the canonization causes. I have a little place where their websites or their phone numbers are so people can find out more or report their own miracles for these saints. So they can go to themiraclehunter.com to get that as well? So miraclehunter.com or theymightbesaints.com are the two places to go for the book. All right. Well, our guest today has been Michael O'Neill. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It's really been a delight, and I'm, I'm excited to get the book and watch the series myself now. I'm all, all charged up. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. You've been listening to Faith in Action, the program that looks at how everyday people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. This program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. If you have suggestions for topics or guests for this program, contact Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org.
or call us at 317-870-8400.